We're uh, in a study in the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 6, I think is where we got to when we left off a couple weeks ago. So we'll pick up there again, and what we'll do is just... um, We'll read... uh, Let me just go ahead and read the whole chapter real quick, and then we'll build a little context so that everybody's on board with where we're at. So... Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering, and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. Remember that. That's going to be important for deciphering who this first rider is and what he does. All right. So that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So, um, anybody remember just a little bit of context? Where is John at when he's seeing this um, take place? In the throne room of God, right? And so he's seen a vision in chapter uh, 4 and 5 of the throne room of God, and he's seen uh, that God is getting ready to judge the world. And then we saw the uh, the great worship service take place as the Lamb came to to claim um, ownership and the rightful heir of all creation and the earth. And so He comes and He takes this deed, this um, this scroll, if you will, which is the title deed to the earth. And He takes this thing which is sealed with seven seals. And basically what we see taking place is God is now ready to pour out judgment on this earth for the purpose of reclaiming what Satan has usurped from him, if you will. And so each seal is broken and judgment is poured out as each seal is broken. Now just a little background so that I'm not going to go through every bit of this, but I want to remind you that what we're talking about here is the 70th week of Daniel. Now Daniel, we read in Daniel chapter 9 that um, God... uh, You remember Daniel was reading Jeremiah and he was a a Jew that had been in Babylonian captivity for a long time. And he noticed that in Jeremiah, God had prophesied that 
for in 70 years, he was going to bring them out of this bondage. All right? And so Jeremiah's, uh, Daniel's reading this in Jeremiah, and he says, Lord, look, you, you promised you were going to do this, and, and the time is now. And so God sends an angel to Daniel, and he says, I want you to go to Daniel, and I want you to explain something to Daniel. Seventy years only takes care of one disobedience. Does anybody remember from our studies of Leviticus what that disobedience was? They didn't let the land rest. Let me show you just a few scriptures to back that up. I'll have it up here on the screen. Let me turn it over where y'all can see where it's at. But in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 5, you probably, I don't know if you can read that up there or not. But well, it ain't keeping up with me. There it goes. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath for the Lord. For six years you shall sow the field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a solemn rest for the land. Then if you were to go over to Leviticus chapter 26, verse 31, he tells them the punishment for this. In verse 31, this is what he says. And I will lay your cities waste, and I will make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not smell your pleasing aromas. I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath you the sword after you. And your land shall be a desolation, and your city shall be a lace, waste. Look at verse 34 here. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And so again, in Leviticus, he tells them, this is something I require of you. And if you don't do it, I'm going to send you away for the amount of years that I told you to give this land its rest. Ultimately, that ends up being 70 years. And you could find that if you wanted to in 2 Chronicles. Let me just go ahead and show you that since I've got it quickly to pull up here. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. This is what happens in verse 17. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill how many years? Seventy years. So again, here's all I'm trying to get across to you. Daniel is thinking in his mind, it's time. Our punishment is over. But what he didn't realize is that God had told him all along, this 70 years is just for this one disobedience. You've been disobedient to all of God's law. You've served other gods. And so now, Daniel is listening to this angel that God sent, and this angel tells Daniel in, uh, in Daniel chapter 9, let me pull that up real quick. In Daniel chapter 9, verse um, 24, this is what the angel said to Daniel. 
Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now again, we did this word study. I'm not going to take it back to you again, but what does weeks mean there? Seventy weeks. Seventy sevens. Seventy sets of seven. And so we translate it weeks, but it actually means seventy sevens or seventy sets of seven years. And so ultimately, Daniel... It's not 70 years. It's actually going to be 70 weeks of years, which 70 times 7 is what? 490, correct? And so 490 years here have been decreed about your people and your holy city. And here's why. In this 490 years, this is what God is going to do. He's going to finish the transgression. He's going to finish it. In other words, y'all started it. He's going to finish it. He's going to put an end to sin in this 490 years. And He is going to atone for iniquity in this 490 years. And He is going to bring in everlasting righteousness, not just a temporary sacrifice that temporarily holds over righteousness, but... He's going to bring in righteousness that lasts forever in this 490 years. And He is going to seal both vision and prophet. In other words, He's going to fulfill everything that a prophet has ever seen or dreamed or spoken. It is all going to be fulfilled in this 490 years. And He is going to anoint a most holy place in this 490 years. Now, I'm not going to take you through the rest of it because we've already done this, but just a summary, here it is. He gives us a timeline. And He says, from this moment to the time that Jesus Christ comes and is crucified is going to be 483 years. Now, what's 490 minus 483? Seven. This is why we call it Daniel's 70th week. It is a set one week of years. It is a set of seven years. Now what we don't get is the dates on these last seven years. But we get some clues as to what's going to happen in these last seven years. And so like for instance in verse um, in verse 27, He says, And He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, And for half of the week... And again, what's one week again? Seven years. So here he's talking about the last seven years. There's going to be a strong covenant made with the Jews which allows them to sacrifice and go back to worship. Was anybody able to pull up that article that I sent out in that church-wide text message and see where I was saying that the Jews are now being allowed for the first time in ages to actually worship on the Temple Mount again? Um, And so we're seeing progress toward a temple actually being rebuilt in Jerusalem which would allow them to have a place again to offer sacrifice and to be able to go back to worship the way that they did. But in this last seven years, He makes a strong covenant for one week. And for half of that week, He puts an end to the sacrifice and offering. What is half of seven? So... In the seven-year period, you've got it separated into two parts. The first three and a half years is a time that looks peaceful. And then after this three and a half years take place, this person puts an end to the covenant that he made with the Jews and he shuts down their their worship. And then keep reading with me in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 at the end of it. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Again, I could take you to so many scriptures to show you what that means, but let me just trust me and then you can go back and find the other message and see the scriptures. But here's what it means. The Antichrist is going to come and he is going to set himself up in the temple and he is going to declare that everyone must worship Him. Now what this looks like and how this goes about, we don't know. But we know in some way this takes place. And in the process of this, 
They called this the abomination of desolation. And Jesus spoke of it in Matthew chapter 24. He told the Jews, when you see the abomination of desolation take place, in other words, when you see the Antichrist set himself up in the temple of God to be worshipped and stopping all the world from worshipping anybody but Him, He said, you run. Run to the mountains. Run to the hills. You get out of there. And so he talked about this. And so basically, let me get back to, uh, to the point of it. In Revelation chapter 6, we have the beginning of the final seven years of the 490 that God said, I'm going to finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity. The last seven years, we call them the final seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years are just called the tribulation. The last three and a half years, Jesus actually calls the great tribulation and says that in that time you are going to see suffering to such a degree that the world has never seen before, nor will it ever see this kind of suffering again. And this is what we begin to see laid out here in um, Revelation chapter 6. So, let's take a look at um, Revelation chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. And we're going to see the seven final years and how they play out. Alright, so, and remember, one of the first signs of it, this is the reason why I really do believe that we're getting closer and closer. And we know we are because as time goes by, you get closer. But remember, there are some signs that point to this. And one of those signs is that the Jews are going to be able to offer sacrifice and they're going to be able to worship in their own city. That likely means that a temple is going to have to be rebuilt for them to resume worship the way that they offer sacrifice and worship. And again, when you start seeing the things playing out like you're seeing right now in Jerusalem, you are getting um, closer and closer to that one thing taking place which marks the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. But in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, John said, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now I'm going to pull up my Bible hub right here because I want to look at a few words that... Um, to understand. First off, who do you think this rider is? He's definitely included in this. Now, one thing that you need to understand is that these horses and its riders do not always and do not specifically represent one individual. For instance, the next horse represents war. War doesn't mean one individual, does it? War is encompassed around whoever armies are involved in the war. The next horse represents famine and pestilence. And so again, you're looking at these uh, systems, if you will, instead of individuals. The next horse represents uh, death and the grave. And so again, you're looking at systems, if you will. So one of the things that we see here in this first horse is that, yes, the Antichrist is indeed the biggest part of this horse because he's going to bring a false peace to the world, but it's not going to last for long and it's actually going to be composed of several world leaders. Now if you wanted to read more about that, you could go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel lays that out in pretty much, um, um, I mean, pretty much layman's terms. And you can go in there and see he saw a vision and then God says, here's what the vision means. These are ten kings. These are three kings that this king overthrows. And, and so he lays it out for you that basically what you have is a what we call a new world order, if you will. And these leaders rise up and they bring a false Christ, um, a, a, um, one that looks like a Christ, but it's not a Christ. Now go to with me to Revelation chapter 19. Hold your spot right there. Because there are a lot of people who say this is Jesus coming back. But Jesus doesn't come back at the beginning. He comes back at the end. So, notice in Revelation chapter 19, 
verse 11 through 15, we see Jesus. And we're going to look at the difference in the two. In verse 11 of Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. So there's the first similarity, alright? The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. That's very important, because this other rider had a crown on his head too. But it wasn't a diadem crown, it was a Stephanos crown. And this is where word studies come into play and where apps like Bible Hub come in. So like for instance, if I were to pull that up, um, in verse 2 of Revelation 6, uh, you just hold your place in Revelation 19, and let's say I were to go to the Strong's Concordance, and I were to go down here and find the word that we translate as crown, And notice He was given a crown. And if you'll notice, beside of that word under crown is what? Stephanos. And this crown is a crown that was actually given to a victor of some kind. The people gave this crown because He was victorious in something. Now a diadem on the other hand, let me go to Revelation 19. Verse 12. Let me find this word. Well, I think verse 12 is it. What verse am I looking for? Is it verse 12? Did I pass it? There it is. Royal crowns. Diadem. Diademata is the word that's used. It's a completely different type of crown. This is a crown that was given to a king. This is not just a victor or somebody that won a race. This is a completely different kind of crown. And the Greeks knew the difference. Um, the, the Romans knew the difference. The Jews knew the difference. Now when we translate it, a lot of times we just translate it crown. But it was two different kinds of crowns. All right, It was one crown that if you won a race... You or you were a gladiator or something and you won, you may have received. And then the other crown is a crown that the king wears whenever it's, whenever, during his coronation or whatever the case may be. And so again, the, the two are wearing crowns, but they're two completely different kind of crowns. And then in verse 19, uh, verse 12 of chapter 19, it says, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. And from His mouth comes a what? A sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. And He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Now again, go back with me to chapter 6 and let's look at this rider again. See what some of the differences are. So he's on a white horse, and then in uh, verse 2, its rider has a what? A bow. What did Jesus have? So there's a difference here, right? Notice that he has a bow, but what does he not have? What else do you need with a bow? <laughs> he has a bow, but he has no arrows. And again, he has a crown that was given to him. The people gave him this crown. And it is a victor's crown. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now this guy looks like Christ in a lot of ways, does he not? But guess what? It's not. Go with me, hold your place here, go with me to Matthew 24. Because Matthew 24 is the key to interpreting Revelation chapter 6. Matthew 24 is where Jesus answered the question, what, how long will it be and when is the end coming and what's it going to be like? So look at Matthew 24 beginning in verse 3.
Notice it says in verse 3, As He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him, Jesus, privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming or the end of the age? And Jesus answered them. Here's the first thing that He answers them. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So what's the first thing Jesus tells them is the sign of the end of the age? False Christ. There is going to be uh, rulers and leaders that will rise up that they may not necessarily come out and, and literally say, I am the Christ, but they will live out their life and, 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 um, and rule in such a way that they demand worship. And we've seen this actually played out in many times in the past. Um, we've seen it played out in Hitler. Hitler was one of those that 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 actually demanded worship as he was um, as as he was ruling. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes is another one that that actually came just right before Christ came. Actually set himself up in the temple the same way that uh, Daniel said the abomination would take place and demanded that they worship him. Now he was overthrown by Maccabees, but we've seen leaders throughout the years that have done things like this. And so this is not far-fetched by any means. All right, But that's the first clue here is that the first thing that happens is that there are rulers that rise up that actually uh, the first thing they do is bring in a false peace and a false sense of purity. How do I know that? Well, hold your place in Matthew 19, all right? Because we're going to be flipping back and forth so that you see every step of the way. There's going to be no denying it. You'll see it, okay? But in Revelation chapter 6, notice in verse 3, or I'm sorry, in verse 4, when the second rider comes on a bright horse, its rider was permitted to do what? To take peace from the earth. And so believe it or not, this world is headed toward a peaceful state for a period of time. Just a period of time. If our interpretation is right, somewhere around three and a half years, our leaders of these nations are going to come more and more together and they are going to develop a world peace, if you will, that will last for just a small period of time. Now, go back with me to... Um, actually, go back with me to Revelation chapter 6, verse um, 2 again. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now again... This does not necessarily mean that he conquered by using a sword and uh, carrying out any type of... Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that he conquered the people in some way and likely with the fact that he makes covenants with them. All right. And so again, I don't want to lose you in that, but that's the first thing that we see. Let's move to the second seal that you see here in um, verse 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Now this rider comes out and now these rulers, they're going to war. World war actually takes place here. Now go back with me to Matthew 24 just so you see that we're walking right down the steps here. You remember in verse 5 of Matthew 24, He said, For many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray with a false sense of peace and security. And then in verse 5, For many... I'm sorry. Yeah, for many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ, they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So again, what happens after the second rider comes? 
He takes peace from the earth and He causes men to slay one another, which is what? War is exactly what takes place. Now go with me. Hold your place in both of those. We're only going to turn to one more place right now. Look at um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1-3. through 3. Because 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul talked a lot about the end times too, and you can get a lot of information um, in that place as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's read verses 1 through 3. Notice what he says in verse 1 right here. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And notice verse 3. While people are saying... What are they saying? Then what will happen? Will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So again, Paul backs it up and says the same thing. That the way that the end of times is going to play out, it's going to look like peace and security. And while people are saying, peace and security, while people are looking around the world going, these leaders have brought peace. These leaders have done this. And these leaders, have done... they've conquered the hearts of the people to the point that the people gave them a crown. Alright? And now, out of all of the things that you would think would happen in the middle of world peace, guess what happens? Sudden destruction. War breaks out. World war breaks out. Now go, with, go back with me to Revelation chapter 6 again. And... Um, We'll go to verse 5. When He opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So this rider has scales in his hand, and then he puts a limit on the wheat and the barley. And here's what he says. He says, a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now, a denarius was a day's wage. And I could take you to Scriptures to show you that, but I'm not going to do that tonight. But a denarius was one day's wage. You worked all day long to earn one denarius. And for that, you could afford one meal for one person. In other words, the wheat and the barley are, are, are now cut to a point that you will work all day long and you will only make enough to provide enough wheat for one poor person. Now on the other hand... If you want barley, which is horse food, cattle food, if you want to go with the dog food, then you can get three quarts of barley for a day's page. So if you've got three members of your household, like me and my wife and my son, if I'm living in this time, and if the rapture don't happen before this and I'm still here, then the truth of the matter is this. i got a decision to make. I can either work all day long and have enough to make one meal for one person, or I can work and have enough to make three meals for three people, but it's only horse food or dog food. What do we call times like that? What would you call this? Famine. Famine. Now go back with me to Matthew 24, and let's see if we're still on track. Start in verse 5 again. Jesus says, For many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be what? 
famines. Because guess what happens after war? What happened after World War II? Food lines, right? I mean, this, this just follows what, what happens. And so there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But look at verse 8 in Matthew 24. All these are but what? It's just the beginning. Just the beginning of birth pains. Now, I love the way Jesus uses this analogy of birth pains because when a woman goes into labor, how does it start? The pains. Just feel a little something. And then as it continues on and she gets closer to the birth, what do the pains do? And so Jesus is using this same analogy to show you that all of these things are just the minor parts of the birth pains. That's just the minor part. Alright, now go back with me to Revelation chapter 6 again and look at verse 7. In this, yes. You're in the first three and a half years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And then in verse... And you'll see where Jesus actually divides the three and a half. He actually makes a division and says, okay, this marks the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. Well, let me say why I said that. Because there are some that... It depends on how you interpret when the rapture is going to take place. And so I, I've just said, you know, I, I hope I'm not here. And I believe if we're interpreting it right, we're not going to be. But I also have, have looked at some other studies that these others have done and they got good evidence to point to the fact that the rapture might not take place until after the tribulation. And so, I, you know, again, I think we're interpreting it right, but how many of you know that we can be wrong, right? And so I want to make sure that I don't just take for granted and say, well, I'm just absolutely not going to be here. I would rather look at it and go, okay, there is a chance, possibility, that I'm interpreting this wrong. And if I am here when this takes place, I want to know, I want to know what's going on. I want to see what's taking place. All right, so in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 6, When He opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, and with pestilence. So here you have where all the people that died from the war all the people that died from the famine, all the people that have died from the pestilence or from the plagues and natural disaster that takes place as a result of world war, maybe even nuclear war, honestly. And so when all this takes place, guess who's on that next horse? Death. What happens as a result of war and as a result of famine and as a result of pestilence? Well, death happens and by the wild beasts of the earth. And if you wanted to look at Leviticus chapter 26, verse 22, you'd understand that just a little bit better. I'm not going to go there for sake of time, but that's where you could turn to to find out more about that. But here is what it says next. I'm sorry, not next. It says, over a fourth of the earth was killed by these things. Now I want to put that in just a little bit of context for you, okay? Right now, there are some 7 billion, I think, 7 billion people on the earth. Now, that number may have changed from the last time I've done this study because that's been a, a little while ago. But there is some 7 billion people on the earth. A quarter of that would be 1,750,000,000 people. 1,750,000,000 people die as a result of that. Now, let me put that into context for you. How many of you think that Corona's been pretty bad? COVID's been pretty bad. Let me give you some numbers. Right now, somewhere around 5 million people have died from COVID. You know what percentage that is of the world's population right now? 0.71%. 0.71. Not 25%. That would be a quarter. 0.71% of the world's population 
has died from COVID. In these, in the tribulation time, 25% of the world dies. Now, that puts things in a little bit better context, does it not? So, <clears throat> 1 billion 750 million people die from this. And again, in Matthew 24, verse 7, he says it. He just says plainly, the nation will rise against nation. And when that happens, people die, right? Kingdom against kingdom, people die. Famines, people die. Earthquakes or pestilence, people die. And all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, keep going with me in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. We get to the next seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. Remember, he's at the throne room of God, right? He looks under the altar and he sees the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers, in other words, the other martyrs, right? The other people who were killed for their faith. Just rest a little longer until this number of people is complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So what you have right here is martyrdom, right? Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. What happens? Martyrdom. They deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. And let me explain something to you. We're not far away from that. Right now, to stand on Christian values. I, I, I read an article today about a Methodist church that the church is split and literally divided because their pastor was in an HBO series dressed as a drag queen. Let me say that again in case you missed it. The pastor of their church did an HBO series where he was dressed up as a drag queen. They decided that it might be best to let the pastor go. You think? <clears throat> so when that happened, the church split right down the middle. And half of this church, they, the, the basically war is taking place in this Methodist church right now because of this decision that was made. In other words, even so-called Christians, if you will, in today's culture, if you do not stand, if you stand against something that the culture approves of, but God disapproves of, you are nothing more than a bigot. You are a, a hater. And, and I'm telling you, we're not far away from you being outlawed and prison time for some of these things. And who's to say that you're not far away from death for such things? Um, I mean... I know that could be time out, but surely you've seen us at least evolve in that direction in, in just a little bit of time, right? I mean, we're not that far away from you being delivered up to tribulation and put to death. Um, and here's the thing about it. Again, I'm hoping that we're gone and that the rapture took place and we're in heaven when all this happens. But even still, when we continue to study in Revelations, we're going to find out that many people are saved during the tribulation. Many people are saved during the tribulation. And so during this time, whether it's us or whether it's the new Christian group that's here, uh, the fact of the matter is there's going to be a lot of people that are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of people. So that's what's next is martyrdom. Now go back with me to Revelation chapter 6 and we'll see if we can wrap this up. Verse 12. Got nine minutes. All right, in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale or a, a, a great wind. 
this be like a massive meteor storm is basically what this would be. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now go back with me to Matthew 24. Let's just keep reading, beginning in verse 10. We'll get to it pretty quick. But this is where the great tribulation takes place. This is where I believe the three and a half years happens, and here we go. All right. Look at verse... um, 10 in Matthew 24. And then many will fall away. And if you were to go to 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the great rebellion, the great falling away. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when you see the abomination of desolation, and you can find that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, or you can find that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, or you can find that in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, or Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. But when you see this take place, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You remember, this is the time when the Antichrist, all of a sudden, he turns. And he turns on the Jewish people. And he no longer allows them to sacrifice anymore. And he says, all you who are in Judea, which would be who? The Jews, right? All you Jews, run. Run as fast as you can. In verse 17, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant. You know why? You ever seen a pregnant woman run? They don't run very fast, do they? And for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now remember, Jesus told us, no man knows the hour of the day, right? So pray that it may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Why? If it's on a Sabbath and you're a Jew. Verse 21, For then there will be what? Great tribulation. This is where we get divided between the the first half of the tribulation and the second half. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. And we're going to talk about that when we get into Revelations 13, chapter 14, so on. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, He is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, He's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know what that means? At the first coming of Christ, who knew about it? few shepherds. At the second coming of Christ, it's going to be like the lightning. In other words, don't believe somebody that comes out and says, uh, this is the Christ, because you're going to know. <laughs> if it's Jesus, you're going to know. And then verse 28 says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will be gathered. And that's simply because of all the death. Because of all the death that's going to take place. He just says very plainly, wherever the bodies are, guess what else is going to be there? Vultures are going to be there. Verse 29, this is where we get into the last part. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be what? Darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven 
and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Talking about the Jews. You know why they're going to mourn? They were wrong about Him, wasn't they? And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so, and you could keep reading that out because the rest of that chapter uh, explains it. But here's the point I want you to see. Matthew 24 is the key to interpreting Revelation chapter 6. Do you see that? You see, I'm not just making stuff up trying to make the two fit. They fit perfectly. Jesus taught it here. John saw the vision here. You could go to Second uh, Thessalonians and read all about it there was the Apostle Paul teaches on it in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, but it, it, you can see that the, the two go hand in hand without question. And then finally, after the... After the great wrath of the Lamb comes, we get down to the last part of Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And what's that last question right there? So guess what chapter 7 is going to be about? Chapter 7 answers the question, who can stand during all this? Who is going to be able to survive this? Because when you read that, I mean, a meteor shire that falls to the earth and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. Who survives that? Well, chapter 7, you get the answer to who can stand. So next week we're going to come back and we're going to look at the answer to who can stand. All right. So, any questions? (laughs) Any comments? What does this do for us? Why does this matter? Why do we need to why do we need to read this? Yeah. All right. That's right. Revelation chapter one. Blessed is the one who reads this. Um, he writes these things to show his servants the things that must take place soon. He wants us to know the things that are going to take place. He wants us to see His wrath. He wants us to see His glory. He wants us to see the people that He saves. He wants us to see how He saves them. Um, and so all through this, um, there is, there's a lot of reasons to, to read this. When we go to application, um, is there a sin to avoid here? Anywhere in this? Unbelief? Huh? Not paying attention? Yeah? Don't be easily fooled by the false prophets. That's right. Uh, That was the first thing He told His disciples, wasn't it? And He said that they're going to be doing things that are going to be so deceiving that many are going to follow them. And uh, haven't we seen that before? All right. Ah, no, not in that scripture, not in that one. Now, there's another one that is similar to that. That uh, that does we believe reference the rapture. This just simply represents that when the great tribulation hits, no matter what you're doing, don't turn back. Don't. Um, um, is that where you're talking about? Show me exactly where you're talking about. What what verse is it? Matthew twenty four forty. Let me look real quick. I may not have time to. Oh, 
That, that could be. You're right. No, no, you're, you're correct. That is the one I'm talking about that could be about the Scripture. What I was talking about, we already read where he said, let the one who's on the housetop not go back. Let the one who's in the field not... Yeah, that's what I was talking about. So what you're talking about, yes, that very well could reference the rapture. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. I would say another example we can follow in this is don't wait to the last minute to repent. Remember at the end of that thing, they said all the kings and generals, rich, poor, slave, and free, they ran to the mountains. And who did they cry to? They cried to the Lord. And so, I mean, you could go through this and you could ask yourself all kind of questions about how this applies to you. Is there there a prayer that we could pray after reading this? Lord, let the rapture happen first. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yep. And, and, And I would say that one of the main points to take from this is that the wrath of God is coming. It's coming. And um, you know, people don't have to see their babies be turned away from food. Right. You got to stand. You're right. And and you think about that. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I'm not saying I deny my faith by no means. But if there was one thing that could make a man to deny his faith, probably watching his kids starve. Yeah. That's right. Well, and again, I, I feel like we've interpreted it right and you're correct. I do. I do. But, uh, but again, I, I always like to make sure that um, unless it's just unbiblical, and um, then I, I keep my eyes open and look at different teachings on it. And um, that's just like here in a minute when we go, or in a few weeks when we go through the seven uh, trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. There are some that interpret that as the exact same event just put in a different way. We seem to interpret it as a literal seven different judgments, not the same seven, seven different here in trumpet judgments, seven more that are coming in bold judgments. There are some that put them together. That's right. All of it's still taking place in this seven years. But um, they just believe that it's just visions of seeing the same event happen in different visions. This one shows like a scroll with seals. This one shows trumpets. This one shows bowls, and 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 it lays it out very similar. But um, I tend to lean more toward, and I'll show you why next week. But that's right. Well. My, my, that's my point though is this. We want to study the Word in such a way that we do our very best to come to the best interpretation that we can. Um, not just because we've always been taught something, but we have studied diligently and we've come to the conclusion this is the best interpretation for how we view this particular event. Thank you all so much for your participation and your time and your attention. And we'll get back next week and do it again. Thank you for coming. Yes, sir. Amen. All right. Well, let's close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. <coughs> Father, we come to you right now and just want to say uh, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that uh, you open our eyes to things that are going to take place soon. Lord, you said these things must take place soon. Father, I pray, God, that um, each and every one of us in here are ready, first and foremost. And Father, I pray, Lord, if it be Your will, that we truly would be raptured out before this takes place. Father, I pray, God, that we would be watching it from on high. Father, I just pray, God, that, um, Lord, that You would help us to get everything You meant for us to get out of this Word. Father, I pray that we could go home and meditate on it and just consider, um, Lord, how we how we live different. Father, what examples we follow or what sins we avoid or, or even how we pray 
and how we, how we converse with You by what You've said to us. So Father, I just pray that, Lord, this would not be the end of this study for us, Father, but that we truly would um, just chew on it like a cow chews its cud. Father, I pray we would chew on it and that we would um, uh, just try to get the most out of it that we can. Father, we love You. We praise You. We ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.